This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me tonight to James chapter 4. And we're going to pick up where we left off prior to taking two Wednesday nights off for Christmas and New Year's. And it seems like forever since we've been in the book of James, uh, even though uh, we have turned the corner uh, into another year, and uh, I don't know how how much longer it's going to take us to get through it, but uh, since March up to where we are now. And so we're going to be looking at James chapter 4 and verse number 3. We're going to pick up there and then press on. Uh, I'm going to go through some of these verses fairly quickly uh, because I do want to spend a little bit more time with verse 7 and 8 as we get to it. Well, I want to refresh your mind just a little bit. In verse number 3, where we left off in our last teaching, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your Lust. I want to real quickly go through some of the hindrances to prayer. We believe that prayer is the greatest resource that we have on the earth as a believer. And how each and every one of us, I look through the crowd tonight and I know that there have been times in your life where you have desperately uh, depended upon God to intervene in your life for some manner or another. All of us know how important prayer is. But I gave you... Uh, in our last gathering in James, some hindrances to prayer. What what is what is it that sometimes might prohibit God from working freely in our life? And I want to give you those real quickly here. I don't want to spend any time uh, to be repetitious, but I do think it's important. I'm, while I'm mentioning that, uh, I've had uh, several people that have told me already or uh, asked me. Uh, since Sunday, about the message that we preached on prophecy on Sunday, I said, Pastor, can you give us those sevens again? And I'm going to do it Sunday real briefly. I had to go through it rather fast, but I do want to refresh your minds with that. And that brings me to this thought. I want to refresh your minds and these hindrances before we press on uh, and not spend uh, the time redeveloping all of it. But I think some of the hindrances to our prayers is, number one, if we do not pray for the will of God to be done in our life. So that's very important. When you're when you're praying and praying in earnest about something very specific, remember the big picture. That's always important to me, looking at the big picture of things and see how that lines up with the will of God. Number two, uh, you'll have a hindrance to your prayer if you don't pray in faith. Faith is a big component of our Christian walk. Number three, if we pray selfishly, and that's basically what James 4, 3 is talking about here. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. And so you have to um, take this into consideration. The other thing is, if we have unconfessed sin in our life, the word teaches us that God will not hear us if we uh, harbor iniquity in our life. And so we need to be aware of that. And then if we are holding on to issues where we're not willing to forgive, 
if we are harboring unforgiveness in our life, that's going to be a hindrance to prayer. And I gave you the scripture, and this pertained to the men, and that is if we dishonor our wives, there's a, there's a high premium to that. If we have a wrong relationship with God, that's a hindrance to prayer, a wrong relationship with God. And uh, if we turn away from the word, and that basically means this, if we know what God's word says about specific things and we just have the notion to either do something completely contrary uh, or make it up as we go. You know, that's one of the things that... uh, is very sensitive to me because we know what God's word says on all of our mannerisms and our behaviors and uh, the thou shalts and thou shalt nots. We we know. We've been in church for a while. We know what God's word says about these things. And when we start making it up to fit our personal situation, getting away from the book, getting away from God's word, and start making life up, on our own and trying to wedge God into all of that so where it comfortably fits us according to the scriptures. When we turn away from the word, that's going to be a hindrance to our prayers. And so we have to understand that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we just can't make this stuff up. We cannot make God fit into our circumstance. We have to be living and and functioning in his will. And so when we turn away from the word, that brings a hindrance to prayer. Uh, two more, and that is when we doubt God. When we doubt God. It's very important. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it's impossible to please God. The last one is when we ignore the poor. And so I gave you scripture references for all of these, and I don't have time to revisit all of that tonight. But this, in in a real quick flash... Uh, brings us up to speed where we left off the last time we were here. And I want to share something about this matter of prayer because God's word does assure us that our prayers do matter. Our prayers do count. And I want to show you what I believe to be one of the most beautiful prayers in all of the Bible. And so if you hold your place here just for a minute, I want to go back to 2 Kings. If you turn there with me, 2 Kings, and I want you to look at chapter 6, and I'm going to read for you in a minute, verse number 15 through 17. Those of you that are home, I'd like for you to turn there with me and follow along with us because this is a very beautiful story that you may be familiar with. Some of you may not be as, as others, but... In this particular story, the Syrians were coming against the prophet Elisha. And uh, the king of Syria, they were actually plotting to capture the prophet. And so there was an enormous effort, a conspiracy to do that. And a great army was sent against the prophet Elisha. Everyone who was with Elisha was petrified over the threat of the king and what was an imminent uh, situation against him, and especially Elisha's Elisha's servant. He He was overwhelmed with anxiety. And so Elisha prayed what I believe to be one of the most sensitive prayers in all the Bible. 
And that's where we pick this up. And I want you to see, you have a little bit of the background. I want you to see this in 2 Kings chapter 6. Follow along with me in verse number 15, 16, and 17. The word says this, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, uh, Alas, master, how shall we do? He was saying this, we are completely surrounded. How in the world are we going to get out of this mess? Verse 16, and he answered, fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And so here it is in verse number 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, Open his eyes that he may see. Look at that. That that gives me chills just to read it. I don't know if it gives you chills to hear it, but it, but I'm chilled with this. That's, that's precious. Open his eyes that he may see. There was not a doubt in Elisha's mind that God was not going to be with him. And the Lord opened his eyes, opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So, you know, there is an enormous, there's an enormous investment in praying correctly. And we have to understand this, that no matter what we come against, the power of God is greater than anything in the world. The power of God. It's like the scripture says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When Elisha prayed the prayer, he said, Lord, open his eyes. Elisha had the confidence in God. And he said, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. I, I wonder every time I read that passage, I wonder if Elisha did not have the spiritual fortitude to already see it. And when he prayed for his servant, he said, Lord, open his eyes. He, he prayed that he said that on behalf of his servant with great, great confidence. I believe it to be one of the most beautiful prayers in the scripture. Now, again, it's very important. I gave you these things on how to, how to pray correctly because our prayers are very important. This is one of many, many that I can share with you tonight uh, of how this was a very successful prayer by the ones who were praying it. But I want to show you a detrimental prayer, a prayer that did not work for the benefit of the ones who were praying, but God gave them exactly what they prayed for. Now, see, this is important. You have to learn how to pray in the will of God. You know, when, when I read the story about the demons who had possessed the man of Kadera, and you, you remember how that story goes, that uh, Jesus was confronting those demons that had possessed the, 
the man of Kadera, and they knew that Jesus was going to cast them out. Have you ever thought about it this way? That when those those demons begin to cry out to Jesus, basically they were, and anytime we talk to Jesus, we're praying. Have you ever thought about the perspective that when these demons cried out to Jesus, why have you come to torment us before our time? And then they made this request of Jesus. Every time we make a request of Jesus, we are, we are in the spirit of prayer. Have you ever thought about this, that Jesus answered the prayer of the demons? Have you ever thought about that? They said, Lord, allow us to enter into the swine. They first asked the question, why have you come to torment us before the time? They, they know what their eternal destiny is. But when they requested of the Lord that he allow them to go into the swine, Jesus granted the request, which means this. Jesus answered the prayer of the demons. I don't know if that's ever stuck out to you, but it has to me. And it comes back to this illustration that I want to give you right now. It's very important how we pray. Sometimes, listen carefully, when we think we know what we need and, and we're not praying in the will of God and we force that thing, sometimes we can say it to the point where God just gets, for lack of better words, fed up with it and does it. Do you remember when Israel was crying for a king? And they kept saying, oh, oh, look at everybody else. Everybody else has a king. We want a king. It wasn't God's time. And they kept saying, oh, give us a king. Give us a king, oh, Lord. And so finally, God gave them exactly what they were crying for. That wasn't his perfect will for them. But that's not the illustration that I want to give you. I want you to see this. And, and when I studied it in this preparation for this Bible study this evening, uh, it made me even much more aware of how important our prayers are. So go back with me, if you will, to Numbers chapter 14. And I haven't given any of these scriptures to Justin back there on the soundboard, and he's doing a great job getting them up there for me. But I want you to see this, because here's a group of people a multitude of people that are now getting fed up with God. And yet they have the audacity to make an earnest plea of him and a declaration to him. And in Numbers chapter 14, look at this in verse number two. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation said unto them, look at this. This was their prayer. Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt or would God we had died in the wilderness? So here you now have a bunch of complaining Hebrews and they are, they are basically saying this, we would have been better off, God, if we had died in the wilderness. 
and as a, as a mockery because God had delivered them from over 450 years of Egyptian captivity. But I want you to see something. What they said in anger and frustration out of the will of God, God said this, okay, if that's what you want, you want to die in the wilderness? God said, so be it. Because I want you to see this in verse 22. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these 10 times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they will not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. And look at verse 29. God is saying it's okay. This is what you want. You, you wished you had died in the wilderness. I'm going to give you exactly what you wanted. And verse 29, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. So it goes back to this. We have to be very careful what we pray for, what we say. And we have to learn how to pray correctly because sometimes these people got on his nerves, obviously. He said, you've, you've worried me 10 times over this. And if you are saying this in frustration and anger against me, you'd wish you had died in the wilderness. God said, I'll make a way. I'll make it happen. And so we have to be very careful how we structure our prayers. That's why I gave you this, this list here. When you're praying for something intently and fervently, and I'm not saying that uh, if you go to the Lord in a little prayer, you don't have to be as conscientious about what you're doing. I'm not suggesting that or saying that at all. We should be always mindful to be praying in the will of God and in all of these other things. But I will tell you, when you're praying, you're overwhelmed with something and you're approaching the throne of grace and you're saying, God, I just desperately need you to show up. I need you to do something. Lord, you know it more than I know it. You see it more than I can see it. You know, you knew I had this need before I knew it. And now I find myself in this situation. And so, Lord, I bring it to the throne room of grace. You told me to come boldly and I'm here. Now what you do, you go through this checklist. Make sure you're praying accordingly, that your prayers be not hindered. And because our prayers do matter, they do count. Now look at this. In verse number four, let's press on here. James, now, as I, as I think about even going back to chapter one, two, and three, I use this word several times in the presentation of this particular book that James seems to be on some type of tangent and, and not in a rude way, but he is very serious about what he's talking about. And he's addressing so many things that we've talked about in our personal behaviors in these other three chapters. But here in verse number four, he continues on with that. Look at this. He's really, he's really making some harsh, truthful statements to this congregation. And he says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? 
Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, what I want you to think about is that first of all, there was, as we study this more in depth, there was a level of immorality that was going on in the church where James was addressing. In fact, Paul had to do that too in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. But this was something that, this this type of behavior is not something that God condoned. He did not tolerate it. And when I was looking at this part of the study, and you may have never thought about this, maybe you've never known this before, but David, after after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, he he never won a personal victory from that point forward ever again. In fact, the word teaches us when you studied that, that other people had to do his fighting for him. And uh, another thing, when David did that, he lost his wisdom. Time is of the essence tonight. I don't have time to review this story in its totality, but when you study the life of David at one point after this incident had occurred, David had lowered himself to taking a census which God at that particular point in time had strictly forbidden him to do. And so even Joab, who was a worldly carnal man, he had more sense than that. And if you're interested in the story, you can find it in 2 Samuel 24. But let me say this. So James was dealing with some physical elements of immorality within the church, but there was also the spiritual sense of that as well, which is, is, is just as bad. Because when we accept Christ, you have to understand this, that we are, we are spiritually married to him. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way. In fact, in this coming Sunday's message, perhaps, if time permits and God would lead, uh, there's there's a closing element to the message that I want to talk about this wedding. But we are married to Christ. When we become a born-again believer, we are married to him. And the scripture that I have for that is Romans chapter 7 and verse number 4. And uh, he may be able to get this on the screen for you quickly. But uh, if you have your Bibles turned there, if you're at home, read along with me. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. The point is this. When we become a Christian, we become married to Christ. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him that is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. And so, The point that James is driving home here and the thing that I want to emphasize with you tonight is this, that all throughout the New Testament, the Lord is calling us to be light. He's calling us out of the darkness and into the light. And when we yoke up with the world, this is how we as believers, this is how we can commit spiritual adultery. James is dealing with that. Of course, there was the physical element of that. But the way that we commit spiritual adultery is when we become more embraced or enhanced or uh, satisfied with with the world. And many so-called Christians, I believe, are more loyal to the world than they are to Jesus. And James goes as far to say that if you become a friend of the world, He says, then you have become an enemy of God. Look at it again. 
In verse number four, he says, you know that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, look at this, is the enemy of God. And so if you become an enemy of God, then you have to recognize that you're in a terrible situation, a terrible position to be in. Let me remind you that we have three main enemies as believers. Number one, our enemy is the world. Number two, it's our flesh. And number three, it's the devil. So I want you to remember that our three main enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so let me put it to you like this, and I'll close with this. We're just about right on time. There are three scriptures that I'm going to give you. Uh, One will be kind of lengthy, and we'll get to the last one maybe next Wednesday night. But let me put it to you like this. God the Father, let's talk about the Godhead just a minute. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the special enemy of the world. And I want to give you the scripture reference to this. It's 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. God the Father is the special enemy of the world. They are our enemies, the three things that I've just listed for you here, but I want you to get these in context. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. God the Father is the special enemy of the world. Now, God the Son is the special enemy of the devil. And I want you to see this in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8. God the Son is the special enemy of the devil. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8. The Bible says, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then God, the Holy Spirit, is the special enemy of the flesh. And the scripture that I have for that is Galatians chapter 5, and verse 16 through 25, and we will pick up there next Wednesday night. That's a few verses, and it would take us a little bit over our time. And so remember now, God the Father is the special enemy of the world. God the Son is the special enemy of the devil, and God the Holy Spirit is the special enemy of the flesh. This is a good study, and uh, I'm moving fairly rapidly through these particular verses And I want to spend a little, as I said, a little bit more time with verse number seven and eight as we get to it. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.